0: Let's pray. Father, I can't help but think of um, the years of prayers that have gone out from this place and from cities and states across this nation uh, for the life of the unborn. And, and then on Friday, Lord, we saw the reversal of the Roe versus Wade uh, decision But, Lord, we don't want to uh, pridefully uh, uh, rejoice in that and then do nothing. But we want to rejoice in that and then be prepared to do everything it takes to help those who are going through great difficulty in uh, considering bringing life into this world because we know that you are the author of life. And we know there will be great challenges, and we know that there will be uh, lots of argumentation and, and great debate. But Lord, we pray for a spirit of peace. We pray that the believers would be those who uh, would go into that difficult place and minister to others. And so, Father, we, we do rejoice in the decision that has come down. Uh, but, Lord, we know that there is a great work ahead. Uh, And so we look to that. And we turn to your word this morning, Lord, that it would build us up, that it would edify us, that we would feast on it. For Christ has told us he is the bread of life, and we want to feed on him in our hearts and be thankful. And so we commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, By show of hands, how many of you have had someone break a promise to you? Little ones like this. Uh, okay, and by show of hands, how many of you have broken a promise to someone? We are in good company. We, we live in a world of broken promises, do we not? Uh, as Michael Horton writes in his book on covenant theology, a fragile web of truthful communication and practical commitments connect us to one another. And when any part of that web comes under significant stress, the trust on which our relationships depend can be easily broken. All of it stems from what we read in this book of Genesis, right? From the beginning, it was Adam and Eve in the garden, breaking the promise. And from then on out, the relationship between the covenant God and our relationships with one another have been fractured and splintered. And yet before and during and after humankind's broken promises, the promise-making, the promise-keeping, the covenant God is present and will not let the web fall apart. God's very existence is covenantal. We talked about this in our Trinity series. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They live in, in unceasing devotion to one another. And out of that relationship, the, the outgoingness of their love and devotion, the, the Godhead creates. And we as creation reflect the nature of God, of that God, the Godhead the three-in-one, that we are individuals who are outgoing and we find value in relationships with others and not just in ourselves. And this is a sad thing that we see today is the, the hi, super heightenedness of individualism. Uh, you can talk about people on college campuses and they talk about the biggest problem is isolation. People are trying to live their lives out on their own, without community. It's nearly impossible. We are all created as covenant creatures from this covenant relationship within the Godhead. We are partners in the drama that unfolds in human history. And as covenant cre- creatures, we all have Relationship with God, but how do we respond to the covenant God as covenant creatures? Do we trust Him or do we distrust Him and reject Him? Or or even do we distrust certain areas within our own lives and give us incongruity in our own lives? Well, this is the backdrop as we come to uh, the covenant that God makes with Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and up to this point what has God promised to Abram He has promised him a land and he has promised to make him a great nation He's promised to give him offspring and that through him that the nations that the nations would find the divine blessing and here is Abram blessed by the Lord yes Lots of possessions, yes. But does he have land? No. Does he have offspring? No. None of the promises of God have been realized yet. And yet, Abram holds to God and his promise because it is God who made the promise. It's not the promise of a man. It is the promise of Yahweh. And as we saw last week, Abram's faith keeps him from taking the shortcut to blessing, what he thinks perhaps would help him achieve what God has promised, but doing it by his own means or or means outside of God's purposes. And even when he does the right thing, instead of feeling pride in his righteousness, he looks to one who is greater than himself, and he looks to Melchizedek. And now God comes to him and says, Fear not, Abram. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. Why does he say this? Why does he say this to him? Because Abram is facing the most common test that believers face and the most substantial test that believers face. If you had to guess, what do you think that would be? What is the central temptation that you and I face as Christian believers? And I'm going to run a little experiment here, and I'm going to say, turn to your neighbor and answer that question. What do you think is that most common and yet also most substantial test that we face as believers? Okay, talk to each other for just a minute. Good answers, bad answers. (laughs) All right, what do we think it is? I'll just give you the answer because we could have too much back and forth. It is this. It is to doubt that God is infinitely good. And that everything that he does in his purposes and his promises and his providences is are absolutely good. Now you might say, I believe in the goodness of God. That's an easy thing to say. But the test that you believe in the goodness of God is when that good God's good providences go against everything In your natural instincts. When things come into your life and you say, I am against that, I don't like that, I don't agree with that, this is not pleasing to me, I don't want that. It is then that the issue is raised Is he good? Is it a good providence? Do you trust that this good God in every providence he brings into your life is acting out of total undiluted goodness? Again, this is Genesis 2 and 3 all over again. Was God a God of absolute goodness? That was how Satan wormed his way Into Adam and Eve's thoughts by asking the question and by by just placing enough doubt before them. How could a a good God put boundaries around you? How could He restrict you from this tree or this good thing? How could a good God restrict your access to good things? That was an opportunity for them to trust in the promise and the providences of God, but instead, just like you and just like me, they began to listen and to trust the voice of the tempter rather than the sure promise of the covenant God. So we find Abram in a similar situation. Is God who has given me these promises but has given me no evidence that he is keeping these promises, is he the God of absolute goodness and promise? And it appears that just as Abram is wrestling with this notion that God comes to him in the vision And he answers the two big questions that are in Abram's mind. The first is we read about in verses 1 through 6. The question is, God, how will you keep your promise? How will you keep your promise of a people and a land when I have no children and I have no land? Verse 2. How are you going to keep your promise? What can you give me? I'm going to have to adopt my servant in my household, Eliezer. That is how I will have to do this if things continue down this path. If I have no evidence that this will come to fruition. And God's answer comes in verses 4 and 5. As God takes Abram out into the night sky and tells him to count the stars if he can. And he gives him this grand assurance that the seed that will come from his own body, not from Eliezer, but from his own body, he will make them as many as the stars in the sky. Why the sky? Why the stars? Why use this imagery? Could it be that it was to say to Abram, the God who did this, who who flung these stars into the atmosphere, into the sky, into the heavens, was able to keep his promise and bring him blessing. Jeremiah says this much, and and, uh, Ray referenced it in his prayer in chapter 32 of Jeremiah when he says, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Abraham is given the promise again that God will do as he said. He's still the covenant God. And then we read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that famous verse, that Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram trusted in the Lord's promise and through faith... He was accounted in a right relationship with God. Abram, who had sinned and had failed, who could do nothing to repay God for his debt, through trusting in the promise of God, he was brought into a covenant relationship with God where Abram was accepted and where he is called a friend of God. How can that be? How can trusting in the fulfillment of this promise enable sinful Abram to be accounted as righteousness before a holy God? Well, Paul gives us an answer in Galatians chapter 3 where he handles this passage. And he shows how that works. Take that promise that was given to Abram that in the seed the nations would find blessing. Where was that promise fulfilled? It was fulfilled in what Jesus Christ Abraham's seed did on the cross, dying in our place, bearing our sin explicitly in order that the blessings promised to Abraham might come to the nations, to the Gentiles. And that is how we are saved. And that is how we are justified. That is what brings us into right relationship with God Not what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. In whom we come to trust and rest in. We find in him that there is forgiveness. We find in him that there is new life. And all the blessings of God's covenant promises become ours. That's what's happening To Abram, he was believing the exact same promise. He didn't know nearly as much as what Paul knew. He doesn't know nearly as much as what we know now. But he was believing in the exact same promise that was fulfilled in Christ. It was because he reached into that promise and he clung to the promise making God who would reveal himself fully in the Son, in Jesus Christ. And in a sense, Abram reaches forward into history just as we reach back in history and take hold of the grace of God in the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. And resting on God's promise fulfilled in Jesus He's able to come, as we are able to come, in better light into this new relationship with God. I hope that we are clear on this issue. There's always confusion around this issue. That the people of the, the, people of the Old Testament times were not saved by keeping the law, but because they trusted in this promise that was fulfilled in Christ just as we are saved and justified and forgiven, not because we manage to do good, but only because we are trusting in the Lord Jesus. So we find this great assurance given to Abram that he will keep his promise, that the multitude will come through him, the countless generations will come from his own body. It will be as easy for God to fulfill this promise as it was for him to speak the stars into existence in the heavens. So God gives Abram this assurance that he will keep his word, that he will keep his promise. And we now stand on the other side of God having kept his word. Paul says all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know if God will keep his promises? Where do you look to for evidence of that? Do you look to your own life experiences? Do you look at the experiences of those around you? Those can be supportive. But the reality is that you look to Christ, the fulfillment of it all. Then there's a second question that bothers Abraham. The first was, how will God keep his promise? The second is, how can Abram be sure that God will keep his promise? And there's one promise here, one, one amazing promise. But there's two sides uh, to this great promise. From the inside, the promise was that God will bring uh, saving blessing to the nations through Abram. From the outside, the promise was that God was going to give a land to his which his people could live until the time of that promise and blessing was fulfilled for all of the nations. He is going to give Abram a land in which he can contain the blessing until the time comes in which the blessing is going to break out of that land and go to all the nations, right? This is why the gospel in Genesis, we've seen this from the beginning, right? It's Adam and Eve. Then we saw the nations uh, uh, born after Noah from the sons of Noah. And then we saw all the destruction and all the mayhem and all the sin that comes. And then it's as if God leaves them. We see the Tower of Babel falls, we see the, 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 the disruption, we see the discord, we see the language breaks. But the, the promise is that those nations will then at some point be restored, but he chooses a seed in Abram and the people of Israel in which that promise will carry through the linear line of history until the nations are brought back in through Christ. And as we represent here today those nations... And now I've lost my place. See, that's what happens. Here's the question for Abraham How can he be sure that he is going to get the land as the pledge that the nations are going to be blessed through him? And the answer is given to Abram in a very strange and dramatic experience. He's given this seemingly bizarre command to take. Um, two birds and three animals and cut the animals in half and place them in these rows and not cut the birds. And and as he's doing all this, these birds of prey come down and and Abram has to shoo them away. And then he falls into this deep sleep. And God comes to him and he makes his promise to him. And when the sun sets in verse 17, there is this smoking fire pot and a flaming torch and it it passes down this line of, of slain cut animals. Verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram assuring that the land would be given. What does all of this mean? It means first That this event is given to Abram by God as a prophecy of the future. It's a picture of what God is going to do in the future. You, You get hints of that as it's explained by God himself. They are going to go down into Egypt, verse 13. They will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants for 400 years. Verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Abram is acting as a a prophet here, seeing into the future, and there are one, two, three cut animals, and then the two birds creating four parallels representing the four generations. Generations of of suffering and, and, and darkness in Egypt. And then the fourth parallel or generation that will be, they'll be brought up. Then he has this vision of the smoking pot and the torch. And we remember that Moses is writing this account of Genesis as he's leading the people of Israel through the wilderness And what is it that's leading the people through the wilderness? It is a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night. That was God. It's a great depiction, even in these days today, that when God's people face affliction, God will be present with them. He's going to bring them into the land he has promised. And he will protect his promise even when it seems his promises have fallen into the dust of Egypt. But God is not going to keep that promise either the way that Abraham would choose. It will be done through the suffering of the people. Nor will it be done at the time that Abram would choose. Abram doesn't want suffering. None of us want suffering. And when do you think he wants God to fulfill the promise? If, if it was up to you and God says, I have a promise for you, are you going to say, wait a really long time? <laughs> like 400 years? No, we want, it. we want it now. Promises that are down the track, or or after your lifetime. Those are nothing compared to the here and the now. But that is not God's methodology. That is not God's way. And what reason does God give for this? Verse 16, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Do you remember what Peter says about the, the, the similar problem that he writes on why God delays in his judgment in Second Peter. It says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. God is far wiser in keeping his promises than we are in the way in which he keeps them. Blessing is often through the very things that we would never have chosen. Being patient with us, that we may come to trust and serve him, to love him, to know him. Before the time comes when there are no more chances to do that. As was true of the Amorites when their iniquity reached its fullness. So God makes his covenant with Abram. Now in those days when people made a covenant uh, with another person or or if there was a covenant with God made, they would take animals like these, sacrificially slain, and put them in lines just as Abram is doing. And, And the two parties of the covenant would would walk together, side by side, through the the cut animals, signifying that if they break their promise, may what happened to these animals happen to the offender or the covenant breaker. They would rather experience this judgment than let their promise be empty. Can't imagine a lot of people doing that these days. And yet... For Abram, he does not walk down through the lines of the animals. There is only one party who walks down the middle of the cut animals. It is God himself represented as the fire pot of smoke and the blazing torch of fire. As though to say, I will have this happen to me rather than I fail to keep my promise. Paul again in Galatians chapter 3, thinking about the symbolism of this and its fulfillment in the cross of Christ where Jesus was, as Isaiah says, cut off from the land of the living, smitten for the transgressions of my people, or as Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. It was a symbol of and an assurance to Abram that God was making his covenant. But it was also a picture to Abram of how God would fulfill that covenant promise. In the slaying of the son of God on the cross, when the light of the world as it were passed through the symbol of the curse into reality, took himself took to himself the judgment And the curse of God in order that the blessing of God might come to those who trust in him. It shows us where we are to go. It showed Abram where he was to go. To the God who would take the curse of a broken covenant upon himself. It is where you and I are to go when we are Tested with the question, is God truly good? We cannot go to our experiences to weigh whether we think God is good or not just any more than Abram could go to his experiences and do the same. But there is a place where God has demonstrated his goodness. God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if he has given his own son on the cross for us, then we can trust that he will not withhold any good thing from us. Those who trust him Holy. find him holy good find him holy true are we trusting him or are there areas of our life where we doubt the goodness of God's promises and the goodness of God's purposes and the, and the goodness of God's providences where will you go You go where you have been given a a guarantee, an an ironclad guarantee. All his promises are good, and every single one has been pledged by his lifeblood to fulfill it. When you know that, then you know with Abram that it is Christ who is your shield and that it is Christ who is your great reward. Let's pray. Father, it may be the totality of our lives in which we have placed our trust in you, but we know that we are called to go further than that and not just be complacent but that we need to be investigating every area of our lives and testing it and asking questions of it and seeing, do we believe in the goodness of God our Father? Do we believe in the goodness of Christ? And do we see evidence of our trust in that? And so, Father, while many if not all of us here have found this to be true oh that your Holy Spirit would poke and prod and reveal to us the areas where perhaps the enemy has snuck in and has placed doubt and asked the question is God truly good oh Father that we would find ourselves to be true in this area. And where we fall short, we fall back and find our rest in Christ alone. For we pray this in his name. Amen.